0: I don't know about the rest of you, but this morning when my alarm went off, my brain said uh, to my body, you can get up if you want to, but uh, the rest of me is going to go back to sleep. And one evidence of it is that I've somewhere misplaced my uh, reading glasses there in the auditorium somewhere, lost, and I can't even come close to seeing the text. And uh, so I may ask someone to get up here and be a reader for me. Oh, here's someone with some glasses. Ah, there you are. (laughs) How about that? Thank you, see? All right, turn, please, to Psalm 40. There's a song that we uh, sing periodically. Uh, Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I personally have never liked the song because I don't think it's true. Uh, it is true that uh, our relationship with Christ grows and is enhanced, and we learn more uh, on a regular basis what it means to display the character of our Lord Jesus. But I don't find that every day is sweet. In fact, uh, some days are just downright awful. Uh, just this past week, I received a letter from a friend of mine, uh, a young man that I've known for years since he was a student. He's a uh, quite a, an outstanding artist, nature artist, uh, draws beautiful pictures of birds professionally. And uh, a few months ago, his wife, Mary, walked out on him, and uh, he wrote this letter. It goes in part like this. Life goes on for me. Some days hard, some days okay, and some days I don't know how I'll make it. But uh, each day passes, and I seem... To be having, I seem to be here the following morning. The Lord has never seemed to be so far away, if not non-existent. But I'm hanging on by faith, not by sight. I see nothing, I feel nothing. I've become like Peter, I find nowhere else to turn. The best hope for hope is Christ. If we should give up on him, where would one go? There are times like that, you know, when you just uh, hang on for dear life and there's no feeling, there's no uh, sensation of joy. Uh, you just keep on believing because you know that Christ is the one hope that we have. That's reality. I think we Christians uh, uh, feel that somehow we have to always look good. We have to uh, appear as though we're on top of everything. Someone asked me the other day, how are you doing? And uh, I said, oh, not real well. And he said, that's great. And he went right on about his business. <laughs> and I knew just exactly what had happened, because I've done it myself many times. You ask a question, you don't really expect the answer that you, you get. You expect people to say, terrific, or great, or everything is super. But it isn't always super. Sometimes we're really down. But uh, we we maintain that facade as though everything's all right. There are... It's what a friend of mine calls a conspiracy of silence. We don't want to admit that we're hurting, that we're depressed, that we're discouraged, and that we're just hanging on by our bare fingernails. But sometimes that's all we can do. We know Christ is our hope, and we're counting on him, but uh, emotionally we're not doing very well. Well, there was a time in David's experience when he found that to be true. It's Psalm 40, and uh, I'd like to read a section of the psalm to you. I don't know the occasion of this particular hymn. Uh, the title tells us no more than the fact that it was David who wrote it. David uh, had his ups and downs, and apparently this was one time when he was down. And like us, David often got himself uh, in trouble because of his sin. Sometimes uh, his enemies put him in hot water, and sometimes it was his terrible temper or his terrible tongue or his violence or some other uh, deep-seated, long-standing area of weakness that he had. It appears in this particular occasion that his sin uh, had produced his trouble. He says in verse uh, verse 11, Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me, for troubles without numbers surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see it. And as a result, in verse 14, there were, we're told that there were some who sought to take his life, who desired his ruin. Many, uh, may those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. There were some who were exploiting his downfall, uh, fall, who were malicious in their joy that things were not going well with, with David. So it appears that, that things were hard, and he had made them hard. And his enemies were exploiting his downfall. Now, David, at the outset, gives us a summary of this occasion and how it turned out. It's always nice to have the uh, have the end of the story at the uh, at the beginning. You know how it turned out. I've always thought it would be great to uh, play football or baseball or whatever and know the final score in the end it certainly releases you from a lot of tension while you're playing it makes the game much more enjoyable if you know how it's going to turn out and uh, that's what david does he tells us uh, gives us the ending of the story in the first uh, 3 verses i waited patiently for the lord he turned to me and heard my cry he lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and mire he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. He describes his uh, feeling symbolically as being in, the, in a pit. And who of us can't identify? There are times that we feel that uh, we're in a pit. We can't get out. I remember once, uh, years ago when I uh, was in Colorado working at a boys' camp, we were digging a well. And, uh, we had uh, reached a depth of about 15 feet and, and uh, we had a rope that we used to pull one another out of the, out of the well. And some of my, uh, Ersatz uh, friends decided that they would uh, play a trick on me and I happened to be down in the well digging. When it came time for lunch, and they all went off and left me and didn't throw the rope down in the well. And they had lunch, and I just sat in the bottom of the well. So I know what it's like to be in the bottom of a pit. It's a helpless feeling. Can't get out. I yelled and jumped and tried every way I could to get out, but uh, couldn't make it. Slippery sides It was just too high to jump. Whenever I read Psalm 40, I always think of the story of the man who was walking across the graveyard... One night and fell into an open grave. And it was quite deep. He thought he could jump out at first and made several attempts and kept falling back into the well. Finally gave up and, or into the grave, finally gave up and sat down to wait for the morning. He knew someone would come to help him. And a bit later that night, uh, someone else walking across the graveyard fell in the same, in the same grave. And, uh, this particular man was panicked. He jumped and jumped and jumped and he couldn't get out and he was getting more and more frantic. And uh, the man who was sitting in the corner reached over and grabbed his leg and he said uh, he said, You'll never get out of here. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> but there are some situations that no matter how panicked you are, you just can't you can't get out. You're desperate. There's no way out. And that's the way David felt. And in a circumstance like that, there's only one thing to do. It's what David did. He said, I waited and waited and waited on the Lord. The Hebrew text literally says, waiting, I waited. In other words, I just kept waiting on the Lord. He didn't look for any other solution to his problem. He didn't turn to any other source. He was dependent upon the Lord to get him out of this fix that he had put himself into. The hard thing for us, I think, is to wait. We like instantaneous solutions. We think of God as a celestial vending machine. You drop in a prayer and out comes an answer, but it just doesn't work like that. Sometimes the response is immediate, but more often than not, you wait and you wait and you wait. That's just the way things are. Delay is always part of the process. As Paul puts it in, in Galatians 6, uh, that it is in due time that we will reap if we don't think. We just have to keep on believing. Refuse the temptation to turn to something else, to uh, get us out of our trouble, or to escape in some way through uh, dope or or uh, through drunkenness, or or through an affair, or anything that somehow will will assuage the hurt and the pain and and the sense of loss. David says, I uh, just kept waiting. I waited patiently on the Lord. And then in due time, he heard my voice. He leaned way over, is the way the text puts it. And he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. In other words, he gave him back his sense of security. And he put a new song in my mouth. He said, David's song prior to this had been uh, help or ah or something. But uh, now it's a new song, a song of praise. And the result, he says, that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. But we don't realize is that these dreadful things that happen to us are not merely for our sake, they're also for others. The result of uh, David's deliverance is that many others see and trust the Lord. We think these things are happening just to us, or they're happening because of us. What God wants us to see is that, that they sometimes happen to us so God can teach things to others that they could not otherwise know as Paul puts it death works in me so life can work in you and then he says it's all for your sake the suffering that he endured the pressures that he underwent the problems that uh that came to his life he says were really for others one of the best illustrations of it i think is the, uh, the event in the lord's life when he started across the sea of galilee and he was desperately tired he just wanted to be left alone and in his humanity of course he did get tired and, and he his energy flagged he went down into the hole of the ship and he tried to get some sleep and the storm struck and and the disciples uh, panicked and they woke him up and they said Lord don't you care that we perish and he went up on the on the deck and I'm sure the Lord must have thought my goodness could I have the right just to sleep a little bit and get a little bit of rest but first he stilled the storm and it says that the disciples were were awed they were amazed it was for their sake even though it was a a little bit of, uh, it was discomforting to the Lord, it was for their sake. And that's what we need to realize. There, there, are more. There's more at stake than our comfort in this world. We get irritated when things don't go our way, when we don't have enough money to pay the bills, or God doesn't meet our needs immediately. But you see, it's, these things are not just for our sake. God is not primarily concerned about making our life comfortable. There are greater issues at stake. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what we're actually saying is that we want people to submit themselves to your will on earth as they do in heaven. The greatest good in the world is the, is the extension of the kingdom of God. And sometimes God will let us suffer in order to extend his kingdom. <coughs> we don't like that, but it's, it's true. When people see how we react to problems, they grow. They're drawn to see and and to fear the Lord and to trust him, as David says. When your children see how you go through these hard times financially, what you do when when the money runs out before the month does, how you react to those things, how you react to disappointment on the job, how you respond to your moods when you get up in the morning and you feel cranky and irritable, do you give way to those, or do you wait on the Lord and trust him? It's, it's not just for our sake. It's so that many will see and, and trust the Lord. Now, the division in the psalm, there's only one division that occurs between verses 4 and 5. The first four verses are addressed to the congregation. The final verses from 5 through 17 are a prayer that are addressed to the Lord. Many, O oh Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. You'll notice the pronoun changes from me to us, because now he's not talking about himself. He's talking about Israel, the people of God, those who will hear and, and, and see and fear and trust God. He goes back to the wonders which God has done for Israel the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, the opening of the Jordan, the conquest of Canaan, all of the, the remarkable things that God did for his people. And the things you planned for us, God's great plan, as we've seen it described in the Old Testament, to bring salvation to the world through his people Israel. No one, he says, can recount these things. Were I to speak of them, they, they are too many to declare. Amazing, he says, what, what God has done for us. Now, what sort of thing can I do in response? Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. To do your will, O my God, is my desire. Your law is within my heart. This is one of a number of psalms that seem to depreciate the sacrifices. Psalm 50, 51, 69, or others. Here's here's another in Psalm 40. It seems as though David is saying the sacrifices are not important. But that's not what he's saying. His point is that there there is a higher and deeper significance to the sacrifices than merely offering up an animal. Or a cake of meal. These sacrifices are symbolic. A higher meaning is the offering up of a life, and that's what these sacrifices were always intended to convey. They were just symbols. Behind the symbol was the the reality of of a life being offered up, given up, given over to God. And so David says, "I, I know what it is that you really want. It's not the sacrifice of a lamb or a bull or a pigeon, a dove on a, on an altar. It's me you want. It's me. It's my ear you have pierced. Now there are a couple of ways to look at that phrase. It may be that he's referring to the ancient practice in Israel of, of placing an earring in the ear of a slave who wanted to serve his master for the rest of his life voluntarily. In Israel, they did practice slavery. Uh, it was a Benevolent slavery, but nevertheless it was slavery. But at the end of seven years, the slave was set free, unless he wanted to voluntarily serve his master, in which case they would pierce his ear and put an earring in his ear. and That would indicate that he had indentured himself for life voluntarily to his master. That's one possibility. But um, the text actually says, my ears you have pierced. Two ears, David speaking. And secondly, the word for pierce that he uses here is not the word that's normally used for piercing for an earring. It means to excavate or to dig something, like a well. And David's point seems to be that you've opened up my ear to hear. You've excavated my ear, in that sense. So that I uh, hear you. In other words, it's a symbol of of obedience. Uh, Sometimes we have the same figure of speech in English. We use the part for the whole. When the little rascals say, feet, get moving, what they mean is, body, get moving. And when David says, my ear you have opened, what he means is, my body is available to you. I want to hear you. I want to respond in obedience to what you say. It's uh, similar to what, what Jesus uh, says in the Gospels. He who has ears to hear, let him let him hear. It's also clear what David means when he says in verse 7, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll to do your will, O oh, my God. Is my desire. Your law is within my heart. The law was written on David's heart. And as I said before, the great thing about David was not his natural talent. It was his great heart for God. Someone once said that David uh, combined in his person the musical talent of a Paderewski, uh, the uh, literary genius of a Shakespeare in the hand-eye coordination of a Johnny Bench. And uh, that may well be true, but that's not what made him great. What made him great was his heart for God, the law that was written on his heart, the intense desire to to do what God had called him to do. Now David says, all of the Old Testament, all that he had, which was probably just the five books of Moses at this point, all of that, he says, is written so I can give my life to you. That's the point of it all, to offer up my life. To do your will, whatever it costs. And that's the key to this song. And that's the key to, to getting out of the pit. It's that commitment to a dogged, long term obedience to God, no matter what you're suffering or how difficult things are. When times get tough and you don't know what to do, then just do what you know you're supposed to do, whatever God has called you to do, maybe some very small thing. If you're discouraged about your marriage, things aren't going well in your relationship with your husband, the tendency is to give up. Sit on the sofa all day and watch soaps, and overeat, and let the house go to rack and ruin, and just give up. But uh, David says, no, no, that's not the thing to do. It, it may be a long time before this relationship is straightened out. It may never be straightened out. We don't know. There are no guarantees in this life except God is able to give us whatever we need to face whatever we have to face. So we say, here's my body. What, what's required of me? Well, to get up and clean the house. Or wash the dishes. Or throw the clothes in the in the washer and get, get started. Because our tendency when we when things are tough is to give up on our responsibilities, to give in to our moods and just give up, quit. But David says, No. Do God's will. Wait upon Him. And in time He'll lift you out of your discouragement and depression. Or some of you men are under tremendous pressure on the job. And uh, I suppose all of us operate from time to time under the fallacious assumption that one of these days our jobs will satisfy us and fulfill us. But uh, the truth is, they never will. We're cursed, you know? Uh, Genesis 3 tells us that uh, the ground will always grow thorns and thistles. No matter how hard we work at making our jobs satisfying, they will never satisfy us. Never, ever. We might as well get that straight. But uh, we operate under the assumption that they will, and and we think, if I just spend a little more time uh, at the office or bring more work home from the office, then things will work out right. And we give up on our responsibilities at home, and, and we no longer take the responsibility for disciplining our children. We don't take the time to tell our wives how much we love them and how much we care about them and to do the, the kind and gracious things that we used to do that made them feel secure in our love. We just check out. We let them take care of the finances and raise the kids and run the house. And we operate under the assumption that I'm the breadwinner and that's my responsibility and that's all I have to do. And We come back home in the evening and, and we just, we're not there. Even we there. That's our way of escaping. That's our way of coping. But it's wrong. David says, a body... I've made available to you. So we walk back in the house and we were available to God to be his instrument to help our wives and minister their needs and take the responsibility for the children and the financial responsibilities for the house. That's what it means in just practical, nitty-gritty ways to do God's will. Those are the things that really count. Now, the interesting thing to me about this psalm is the way it ends. Doesn't that conclude on a high note? In so many of these psalms, uh, there's a great note of praise and almost a crescendo of of praise at the end, but in this, this psalm, you don't find that to be true. Verse 13, Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put it, put to shame and confusion. May those who say to me, aha, be appalled. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord is great, but I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh God, do not delay. Apparently uh, Albertsons is not the only one that believes we need help. We uh, we just need help, that's all. I get nervous about people who tell me they are sanctified and perfected, and they do not sin. I get nervous for their sake. Because Paul says, if you think you stand, watch out, because you'll fall. Isn't it interesting, right after this great uh, vow of service and worship, Your word, he says, is written in my heart. And he says, my heart is failing. And he offers up praise to God. God, you're great, but he says, I'm needy. I'm weak. And it just seems to me that those two ideas run concurrently all the way through God's revelation to us. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We do have the resources of Christ to be what God intends us to be. We have the author, the creator... The sustainer of the universe available to us to cope with whatever we have to cope with in our family. But let's not get cocky. We're needy. We're helpless. And I find that uh, most of my Christian life is uh, just uh, rolling out of bed in the morning and saying, Help, Lord, help. I need you today to get me out of this mood, to prepare me to walk into the kitchen and, and be the right kind of man with my family. To know how to, to, to discipline my children. To know how to be the right kind of man on the job. And it's all through the day. Lord, help, 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 help me. I have a friend who used to say we shouldn't sing the hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. Because he said we ought to sing, I Have You, Every Hour. And, and that's true. That's true. But I also find it very helpful to me to sing all day, I Need You Every Hour, most Gracious Lord. We need him. We don't have anything without him. We're weak. We're helpless. We're limited. We're finite. We're men and women who desperately need God. Remember the story that Jesus told about the two men that came into the temple? One said, I thank you that I'm not like that fellow over there. And uh, went on to... uh, talk about his own righteousness. And another poor fellow came into the temple and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went out justified, the other did not. And so we just need to be honest. That's all. We need him. We have him, but we need him. And we need to keep drawing upon the help that he gives. Now, would you turn to another passage, Hebrews 10. It's interesting to see how the writer of Hebrews uses this, uh, this psalm in Hebrews 10.5 when arguing about the better sacrifice which Jesus made, better than the sacrifices under the law, which were repeated endlessly and could not uh, free the conscience of those who sacrifice. In verse 5 he writes, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. That's uh, the phrase that was translated, My ear you have opened. And in Psalm 40 here, the author of Hebrews generalizes, as we did earlier. It's a body made available to God. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased, and I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will. First he said, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to, your, to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See what he's saying? He puts he puts David's words in Jesus' mouth. In other words, when, Jesus, when David said, it's not sacrifice and burnt offering that you desire, but a body that's made available to you, that was Jesus speaking. And that's the way the writers in the New Testament consistently apply these psalms. Though in the first case, they're placed in the mouth of the psalmist or the individual who, who first utters them. Their final and complete fulfillment is in Jesus himself. Who says these things? And the reference here is to the ultimate sacrifice, the giving up of his life for us. And that's why we gather around this table this morning. It's uh, The Lord's table is simply a symbol, a reminder of our Lord's offering up of himself to us. It's what made possible the offering up of ourselves. He once for all dealt with the issue of sin so that our wills are free to choose to follow him and to do his will, and then he exemplified it in that sacrifice. So as we gather around this table this morning and we think about the sacrifice which Jesus made for us, let's take a moment to think about our response, the sacrifice which we need to make of our own bodies, our own lives, to him. Let's bow our heads, and would you, within your own heart, Ask the Lord to place his finger on the the unsubmitted areas of our lives. We all have them, whatever they may be. And offer them up to him. Just tell him, Lord, I'm sorry that I, I reserved this area to myself. And I want you to have it. There may be some bitterness or resentment as you've borne against someone for a long period of time. Would you forgive them as Christ forgives you? There may be some there may be unwillingness to submit to someone who's an authority over you. And though outwardly you've submitted inwardly, you're you're angry. Resentful, resistant. Or maybe some deceit, some lie that you've lived out over a long period of time and been unwilling to set right. Or someone that you've wronged. Or someone with whom you need to be reconciled. Or some unwillingness to accept responsibility for something you know you must do. Lord Jesus, it's our desire this morning to take these elements, not merely in symbol, but as an illustration of the truth. We're thankful that you gave up your life for us. We realize that the only reasonable response, the only worthy act of worship, is to give ourselves up. We do so, Lord, in a spirit humility, recognizing that we cannot do it without your help. We need you. Thank you for making yourself available to us. In Jesus' name, amen.